wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Welcome to A Quirky Journey, everybody. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> These are your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Hi, 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 Joe. How's it hi, going? Hi, hi, hi. It's good. Are you half asleep there? I'm fully asleep. So, oh, guys, talking in your sleep. Uh, this could yeah, be interesting. Completely. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're just re- we're just recovering so, from our last trip. <laughs> we had a, an epic trip: um, Melbourne, Tasmania, three cities, Adelaide, back home, crash. The oh, whole we- world just <laughs> is sort of. I left it at the doorstep. We did actually. Joe, hey, Joe, let's take. The next couple of days off, she's like, yes, let's do it. Wake up this morning. She goes, I think I'm going to work today. I'm like, come on, Joe. I didn't, mean, <laughs> I didn't mean work, work. I just mean there's a few little things I have to answer. But yeah, this afternoon right. after lunch, I'm going to a coffee shop with my daughter and we're going birthday shopping for my other daughter without her, like, surprise birthday shopping. And then tomorrow I've got more coffee shop dates. So don't worry. I'm not doing heaps of work. <laughs> okay, good. And besides, so, yesterday I spent most of the day laying on my back reading a book. It's a good book. Oh, what book are you reading? What are you, what are you reading? I forget what it's called, but it was a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery well, what I was it reading. Sure is. <laughs> it was just one I downloaded on Kindle to read on the plane and then it just like mm. had all these twists and turns and I couldn't put it down and it was really good. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. You know, wow. now and then you've got to do that, right? Just switch yes. off your brain. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm reading a new book called Wild Soul. Oh, yeah? I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. It's another Bill Plotkin book. I love this guy. He oh, wrote yeah? Soulcraft, which is really, it's been such an amazing book for me since Vision Quest. And uh, now started, yeah, his second book. Well, he's got three, I think. Uh-huh. Um, Nature and the Human Soul and then Wild Soul. I think Wild Mind. Ah, it's Wild Mind. That's the ah. name of it. A field guide to the human psyche. It's really interesting, Joe, because what yeah. it says is like Western psychology deals with uh, pathology. Yes. So they're trying; they're just trying to help the human being sort of not be troubled by their own psyche. Right. But he says, you know, there are different models of psychology, like say Jungian mm-hmm. psychoanalysis, that go into the potential of the human being. So they go even, you know, further. Mm-hmm. Why stop at you know disease? management when you can sort of go into um you know diving into your subconscious in 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 order to be able to really thrive as a human being Uh not just to get over the stuff you know like childhood trauma and that kind of stuff a bit like the difference between uh conventional medicine and holistic medicine totally it's exactly the same yeah yeah Hmm. so this is what I, i love that because you know it's a really good psychological model to follow that is in line with Whole Foods. Yeah. Well, I've been hard re- to find these things. Yes. Well, my, most of my time on my travels, I was reading a more serious book, um, Quiet by Susan Cain. And oh, it's such a good book for people like me who are um, working on being an extroverted introvert. <laughs> Joe really thinks she's an introvert. She's not. <laughs> she, like, she's, she's really holding on to that idea very tightly. You're not, you're not an introvert. You're like the most extroverted person I've ever met in my life. Joe. Really? So is that why I crash and burn when we're like a lot of people are around me? Oh, I, I think go, that's normal. Go I think to bed. Anyone, even an extrovert <laughs> will feel ex- exhausted at the end of it. 
You're supposed to feel you're supposed to feel energized when you're around people if you're an extrovert, and yeah, you get you get more tired around people when you're an introvert. Well, you don't get tired around people. You get energized around people, but then you hit a threshold like anyone does, where you, like you know, like I feel really good when I exercise, but if I exercise too much, I'm going to feel tired. Okay, this this is one thing I've noticed when we're on trips and we go out for dinner, and there's heaps of people and lights, and you're in a restaurant where it's noisy and there's music loud, and there's, I just want to go to sleep. Yeah, but this is not like the sign of an introvert. No, but it is one of the the signs. And there's also like, a lot of others. You could be an extrovert who doesn't handle, you know, um, <laughs> artificial lighting. It can be, but uh, these, I'm music. talking about I'm talking about restaurants where there is hardly any lighting. There isn't hardly any, no. I said there is hardly any. Don't tease me. Uh, I make. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, so, but Jojo, yeah, tell me though, like. You know, like you are an introvert and you feel sort of, but like this has been an amazing couple of weeks, really. Mm, yeah, I love it. I love it because I think it's completely different when you're with your tribe and you feel like you're on purpose and you're you're sharing your passion. Um, it's a beautiful, exciting experience. You just sometimes crash a little afterwards in cocoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's normal. Yeah. Like waves, you know, they ebb yeah, and flow. definitely. Breath comes in and out. And, and Joe... You know, like it's out there and it has to come home and crash. Same. Yeah, and so Same sometimes I'll disappear laughing. from social media a little bit and, and you know, like yesterday I didn't do anything <gasps> no. on social media. No, I know, I know. Did, like, did anything happen? Um, did everyone, no? Well, they might yeah. have, but I wouldn't really I'll know. I'll tell you what, <laughs> I took like those nine days off during Vision Quest and um, the world, world kept on turning. That's right. Came back, it was fine. Yeah. Like, oh. All right. Doesn't need me to space. Yeah, I was about to All say. Right. No one needed you. Yeah. No, just kidding. Yeah, we need you, Well, you, you, like people like having me around, but <laughs> they need me. Like, you know, I'm actually happy that they don't. It's so good to not feel like bound by duty, but to sort of work from a place of love rather than obligation. So it's it's a nicer place yeah. to work from. Yeah. I like it. Good. Yeah. Good. Joe, I'm looking at a stick that Nathan gave me. A stick? Yeah, Nathan's like you know he's my uh, outdoor buddy. We we go out, we go bush together, yeah. and he's just like he's incredible because like I'm the one who makes zero plans, and then he's the one who makes all the plans. You yeah. know? So like he's got all the gear, he's got like he's got uh, machinery. He used to be a plumber, then became a software engineer. So he's you know he's analytical and organized, and he's got all this stuff. You know, so like I go into his house. He's a single man, uh, early forties, and he's just like. He's got everything, you know, he's got his house is the entire house is like a man cave, you know, it's like incredible. <laughs> and and he just really loves creating all these, uh, you know, spaces for like, you know, if we're going, say, bush. Yeah. He likes having everything like the boiler, the best boiler, the, you know, like the food is ready, the, you know, everything. It's, it's just wonderful. So he creates really cool spaces. And last time we went for a bushwalk together, he had. Uh, he gave me the stick. He's like, oh, he's like, oh, let's take these walking sticks. And he grabs these sticks out from his car. He gives them to me. And uh, I, I just walk using the stick. And then when I get to my destination, I start looking at the stick. And he's like fashioned a walking stick. And it's just like really, really beautiful. He's, oh, he's sort made of it himself sad. out of wood. Yes. Ah, nice. So I didn't hear that. Got out. Say that again. I said, he, so he's made his own. Yeah. So he found a stick, you know, in the bush. And he took it and he just sanded it in places and, you know, like just did different things. Like you look at the patterns of the, it's like design, like Mm. it's a designer bush stick, you know? And I'm like, 
wow, this is so beautiful. And every time, like, I put it now next to my desk to remind me of, of you know, the outdoors. And I can tell you, it's just, like, knotty but beautiful. And Aww. he's sanded it back in places. And he's used, like, a little saw to sort of saw off some, like, uh, different knots. And it just looks so stunning. I'll send you a photo. Okay, cool. Really, really beautiful. That's a nice but gift. I'm so excited about my stick. Yeah, <laughs> You can use it until like you're you should old. should become a professional stick player. Player? It's, maker? Sorry, maker. <laughs> yeah. um, not thinking correctly. He should That's become right. a stick maker. Yeah. Too. Yeah, they're definitely yeah, anyway. something people buy for walking. They do? Yeah, they buy the, um, you know, the, the proper, I don't know what they're made out of, the metal kind of the, stuff that they use yeah, for that really bushwalking. Like yeah. yeah. It's not the same. Not the same. It's just, no, like, you can't be walking, like, this one looks almost indigenous it is indigenous well it's an indigenous tree you know? so okay. and then it's so you're walking around an australian wilderness yeah. holding a piece of metal it's out of place this one fits right in it's That's just right. like really at home and i feel a little bit like gandalf the gray yeah <laughs> so it's pretty cool that's funny love it oh that's good are you gonna go yeah. bushwalking today uh today i'm gonna I've got I've got a lot of tidy up to do. <laughs> Me too. That's what I'm going to do. When, so when I said so work, I, that was one of the things I mean. Clean my desk. Oh my goodness. I, desk clean up, hundred percent. Declutter, declutter the desk. <sighs> so Paul and I. IKEA cupboard for. Oh yeah. Like, I just I'm hating visual clutter more Me and too. more. Me too. Me too. And uh, we should talk I'm about this quickly. We were talking about this at our seminar and. Um, a few people came and commented to us about um, how true that is, that when you have a very cluttered home, it really clutters up your mind and it makes it hard to create space for doing anything in your life, like getting stuck into your, your wanting to get, uh, if you want to get stuck into changing your diet and healing, helping, uh, see, my words are mixed up today. Um, did you clear your desk before you started? I did. My desk is cleared oh. off. But my Remember? brain is yeah. still tired. <laughs> yeah. But it really does help to do Totally, I hear you. Mm. I think I should drink three liters of fish oil so that my brain kicks back into gear or something. <laughs> I think I just need to go and go to the lake and just lay in the sun. Ah, I'm so tired, Joe. I want to lay in the sun too. Okay. I don't want to declutter the house. Yeah, Why I am just, I thinking that? Maybe just, just, uh, just do a half hour declutter and then go lay in the sun. Yeah. Yeah, good point, good point. It's amazing how much just, you can do in half an hour when you just, really like, is. focus on it. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So um, I had a – maybe we'll leave this for the next podcast okay. because I, I really don't have the energy to talk about yes. Melbourne and Tasmania oh, and the right. dinner that I did in Melbourne and the we dinner don't. I did in Katoomba <laughs> and the upcoming dinner, dinner that I'm doing in Springwood and all that kind of stuff. We don't, don't, need, have to, to we don't need to talk about it all anyway. We're probably, you know, we chat too much. That's all right. Guys, go and have a look on our Instagram and Facebook and you'll see what we've been up to. <laughs> yeah. And oh, Joe, yeah? you have, like, the podcast is its own medium. We oh, have to give true. it its right as well. That's true, but you said you don't Again, feel like just, talking about it today. I'll say next time. Next oh, time okay. I'll tell you about all this stuff because right. it's been amazing. It has but, been. Yeah. Mm. What's today's podcast, Joe? So today we have one that we've been – looking forward to releasing for a little while and um, we were just waiting for the right time. Um, we are going to be helping with a, um, what's it called? A retreat? 
in Northern Territory next year. And so we had a chat with Karma from Hope for Health um, about what what the work is that they do up there with the Indigenous people, helping them to get back to whole foods and real food and um, just helping them with, um, they also help them with business and all sorts of things up there. And it's just an amazing, um, I, th- I guess you would call it a charity, would you? I don't know what they call it. Yeah, they are a charity. Yeah. 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 So not for profit. I yeah, think not for not profit. For profit. Yeah. They're doing such an amazing job up there and, um, Really, it was kind of started by the Indigenous people themselves, which makes such a difference. It's just a beautiful thing. And um, we are really excited to be able to partner with them next year for this retreat and help in the kitchen. Woohoo! Yeah. So um, at the end of the podcast, we do mention that it's in October this year, but the dates have been postponed. And so it'll actually be April, May next year. We're not sure exactly, but the just the stories are... Um, sad, happy, fascinating. There's a lot of amazing stories in this podcast. Yeah. Now, it was definitely um, an incredible thing to connect with Karma. Mm. If you guys have seen the um, um, Netflix movie, what's called um, The Magic Pill by Pete Evans. So Karma and her husband appear in that, and they're the people who are working with indigenous uh, people up in the Northern Territory. So it's uh, it's a really good watch, that movie as well. So mm. watch it, and you get a, a face as well to the voice, and really beautiful work by beautiful people. It was funny, the first time when I saw The Magic Pill, I was watching that part of it where they were working up in the Northern Territory and I was like, wow, this is what I've been looking for for ages, that mm. someone doing this work and I didn't know if anyone was doing it and I didn't know how to get started helping with it. And it was so encouraging to see and I thought I would love to be involved with that, but I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think anything would come of it. And then, Fuad, do you want to tell what happened with you? Yeah, I was um, in Kayama doing the Wellness Summit. Not wellness uh, breakthrough base camp, sorry, base camp, base camp yeah, <laughs> with Marcus and, and the boys. And I was sitting next to Helen Padron for the speaker's dinner the night before. And um, I was having a chat her, and Helen said to me that she um, got contacted by Hope for Health in order to come up and be the uh, person who's advising on nutrition because they're very much steeped into ancestral uh, eating. That's that's the work that they're doing up there is that they're trying to point the indigenous people back to their traditional ways. So the health retreat is all about whole foods and um, Helen has been yeah asked to go up and help around that because she's a, a nutrition expert. So this is uh, just sitting next to her. I said, I just couldn't believe, you know, the, hearing that story because I'd sort of seen the the magic pill and I thought one day I want to connect with these people. I really mm. want to go and see it. And it just was just what a month later or so after seeing it that uh, I uh, met Helen and she mentioned it and she was more than happy to introduce us so that we can go up and do some cooking as well. So it feels yeah really uh, like such a beautiful coincidence if it is and very yeah. happy and lucky to be going up there. And the other beautiful thing was when um, Karma found out that we were interested in coming. She got really excited because she's been following Quirky Cooking for years and she's done the GAPS diet. And she's yes. bit, she was so excited because she's like, that's how it all started, she said, because <laughs> I was 
our family was doing the GAPS diet and then people saw what we were doing and they needed help. And so we started helping them with food and that's how it all began. So I was like, oh my goodness, how, how crazy thing, like you say, is that a coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> no, it, it is really amazing. It's because, so you know, amazing. Like, Joe, the, the early work that you did around GAPS, you know, inspired her and then in turn, mm. see what's happening to that community. You know, and this is, um, you know, you, you got to take, Bit of credit for that, oh, Jojo. It's <laughs> amazing. You know, see, like, see how far the work goes. Really, like oh, we don't have so. any idea and who, it's, who and how it helps others. You and know. to be able to come back in and help in our turn again, it's kind of like a full circle, and it's just so beautiful. I'm very yeah. excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, remember the the uh, it's not October anymore. The retreat, so uh, it'll be. Um, April, May next year. Also, Hope for Health um, do really appreciate financial support. So mm. we'll put a link in the show note and how to be able to connect with them and provide them financial support because I know this is a very big deal for a lot of you listeners out there that, um, like us, you've been wanting to help um, basically making in the health of indigenous people better, uh, but haven't had the opportunity, don't know how because we don't really know of many organizations who are doing something like this and these guys are doing it right so yeah. uh, go ahead and support them because this is just you know the most promising thing that we've seen mm. come out of australia around, around this topic so just yeah. go out and help them out and yeah show your financial support to them please okay well i hope you guys enjoy the podcast it's an amazing story so enjoy I believe that Indigenous people are vital to a positive future and nationhood for our country. Their knowledge and perspective has the potential to make us greater. But tragically, the oldest living culture on earth is literally dying before our eyes from preventable chronic disease. Why should you care? I believe that Yungu people matter, not just because of their innate human worth, but because they are different from me. My husband and I have lived on a remote island in the Northern Territory called Elko Island for the last eight years. We have had the privilege of doing community development work there with the local indigenous people, Yungu, who are, the, who are in the midst of a devastating epidemic of chronic disease. In this time, I have become completely convinced that the world needs Yungu people because they are different from me. As our world becomes steadily more globalized and homogenous, I think we are losing the value and richness of real diversity. You see, it's not just that Yungu people have a slightly different perspective from me. They have a groundbreaking, earth-shattering, blow-your-mind different perspective from me. They have a completely different vantage point and a different framework based on countless generations of wisdom. Sharing time with Yungu people has given me different eyes to see the world. Our world needs the creativity and intelligence that comes from diversity. These are the words of uh, Kama Trajan, who is our guest on the podcast today. Kama Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Welcome, Kama. Uh, Such beautiful I, words. Yeah, I hope I, I pronounced it correctly, the, the name of the Yungu people. Can you just say it in the way that it's meant to be said? So I know. <laughs> now I'm getting really self-conscious about my own pronunciation. <laughs> Yungu people. Thankfully, Yungu people are ridiculously forgiving. So <laughs> if they're hearing us you know, butchering their words, that you know, there's grace there. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> I know from being called Fuad, uh, you know, my name is Fuad, and people call me Fuad, Fawood, Fuda, Fauda, all that Fuku. kind of stuff. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't take it 
too personally. I'm okay with it. But, uh, <laughs> Carmen, thanks so much for joining us. Um, we've like both Joe and I uh, actually heard about you or saw you for the first time um, in uh, the Magic Pill documentary, but we never really imagined that we'd be talking to you. <laughs> it just happened in such a, an interesting way. Um, yeah. But um, I'd, I'd love for you, before we get into that story, we'd love to hear about um, your part of the world and um, where, where you started working with the young people and who they are maybe in the beginning, just to start about who they are. Sure. Uh, so um, the Yungu people are the Indigenous people group that inhabit northeast Arnhem Land. Uh, so Arnhem Land is this fascinating part of Australia which many people don't even know exists. I actually grew up in this country and you know completed my schooling never having even heard of the place which um was a bit well I don't know maybe maybe I was in a in a narrow exception but um where did you when go I, sorry Kama I, I grew up in um northern New South Wales mm -hmm. in um in a country town and so it was a fair I, way away yeah yeah <laughs> so it wasn't until I went to university in Townsville and met yeah him who went on to become my husband and um he was going off on a trip to Arnhem Land and, and I remember thinking, where is that? And he was going off to, to learn language and I just was so thrown by that that it was like, but you said this place is in Australia. Like what, why would you be learning a language? <laughs> it just was so outside the, you know, the picture I've got of our country growing up. Um, so Arnhem Land is an area, it's about the size of Victoria and it's the northeast kind of corner of the Northern Territory and it's got a bit of a unique history in terms of Australian history in that the um, the Indigenous people as they were being encroached upon by the pastoralists and people um, trying to set up settlements there, they, they actually won. So they managed to keep out the white people that were trying to, to mm -hmm. take over their lands and as a result, um, the government decided to turn that area into a reserve. So essentially the land is be being returned to the Indigenous people but that land is held in trust by land councils. So that's a, a slightly complex um, situation um, but it is an area of land where the majority of people are the local Indigenous people and uh, they're able to maintain uh, a really a, a significant amount of their, their traditional um, systems of, of doing things. Um, but it is an extremely complex place. It, it holds tremendous richness and culture and, and just amazing, amazing value and at the same time holds tremendous brokenness and confusion because these two cultural worlds are, are clashing with the dominant culture and, um, and people are, are confused and not getting access to information in their own language to be able to find the way, the way forward. And um, so there is um, a, a really... Um, it's a really painful, uh, painful story to engage with because it's it's kind of it's still happening before our eyes that people are dying from preventable diseases and um, people are tremendously disempowered. Um, traditionally, they had a vibrant economy which included international trade, particularly well known with the Macassans. Um, they had really established trade routes. Um, yeah, and a thriving international economy. And that was all shut down when different um, 
trade laws were brought in by um, the dominant culture and um, through various mechanisms, welfare was brought in and, um, yeah, has become a very, very disempowering tool um, going on. And, yeah, that, so my father-in-law has written an amazing book about Arnhem Land and it's called Why Warriors Lie Down and Die. And, and that mm. is, is very much the picture that we, we are talking about incredible warriors who were able to protect their land who who are now lying down and dying because of um the disempowerment that that is going on what kind of community work did you guys begin with um there in your area i think your husband and yourself both studied community work and and that's what you've been doing there for the last eight years uh, so, um, we're a little bit more complex than that. Okay. Um, so, so my husband, Tim is, um, his background is in anthropology as well as, um, science and, um, my trainings actually as a medical doctor. Um, okay. so we, um, we both, uh, left our jobs to head off, um, to Elko Island and we, um, the basic kind of idea that was driving us was um it had largely kind of grown out of work that Tim had been doing so he had been doing kind of fly in fly out consultancy work a lot of um cross cultural education and uh he is fluent in the local language and he's got tremendous grounding in the local world view so he um uses a, a beautiful method of education which we call discovery education which is really all about building on the traditional knowledge that people already have. Um, so he was doing different contracts um, in community education. Um, and at the same time, he'd been asked by a Yungle family to support them to start their own business um, as a family. And, and that's kind of started a really kind of epic journey of unpacking all the traditional economic terms and, you know, and they're all there. There's concepts for all the complex, you know, crazy mm, systems cool. that we have of superannuation and taxation and everything. They're all there in traditional culture and you just need to build the bridges. Um, yeah. And so that was going on and really exciting. And, um, and Tim was being flown out to, you know, give education about various things. And we kind of started seeing this pattern that it was like whilst he's being flown out because someone somewhere else has decided that Yungle people need to know about X or Y, um, that whilst he was there, people had been hearing about how he was helping this other family start their business and they're saying to him, oh, could you help us start such and such or we really want to do this. Do you think you could help? And, oh, and we started right. to realise that that was actually where the, really, the real work was um, mm. and that we needed to find a way to be actually available to do that because he kind of didn't have that much time left on the side <laughs> of his real work. Um, and we really were seeing the difference when what people were working on was, was coming from inside where it was something that they were initiating and were motivated and, and yeah. driven and to achieve. And there's this kind of concept that people are, um, you know, are not trying to do things for themselves. And I guess what people aren't, able to see from afar is that people are desperately trying to do things for themselves but there are so many obstacles and barriers mm. and so little support to overcome those things and so much resourcing going into other people's plans to do other things that kind of trample out what people are trying to do for themselves um so we decided to leave our jobs and just go and make ourselves available to support whatever people were trying to do for themselves um and we 
yeah, we tried to keep that as broad as possible, like not put it in a box of, oh, we're here to support business development or we're here to support X or Y, that it was just we would respond when asked for help um, and, you know, we, we had a framework that we put together to try and ensure that we were actually being helpful and not just kind of perpetuating welfare dependence and mm. not really helping anyone. Um, and um, we base that all our work heavily on Tim's dad's work in Why Worries Lie Down and Die. And for that model, we also drew a lot on the work of Ernesto Soroli, who developed an enterprise facilitation model. So we, um, yeah, I guess myself having a medical background, I, you know, I secretly hoped that I'd be able to help with something to do with health. But Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, the the last job that I'd had before we headed to Elko was at the Aboriginal Medical Centre in Darwin. And, you know, that was an amazing learning opportunity. And I guess I was just seeing how much, um, how much more was needed that the system wasn't able to provide and that if we weren't kind of just meeting people where they were actually at and the next steps that they were trying to take to move forward in their life, then you were kind of not really able to help. It's like we kept trying to throw things in downstream when people were just not mm. there yet. Um, what, what is the current state of health there? So, um, yeah, I mean, younger people are, are experiencing just horrific health health and it's um you know there's horrible statistics which I know some people are aware of I'm not great at spouting statistics um (laughs) sorry just give us a general idea I'm not terrible (laughs) um and I and I guess the thing is that more for me the experience has has been you know the the reality of those statistics because you're seeing it on the ground yeah that that's a very a very different a different kind of way of looking at it and I guess what that those statistics look at look like on the ground is that there's literally constant funerals and in a community so on Elko Island the community is about two to three thousand people um and you know vast majority Yungo and in the community of that size um there's about 15 clans represented and they try to just have one funeral at a time because funerals are an incredible ceremony where essentially people are gathering and any clan that is connected to that person is reciting the law of that person and it's like placing them amidst the incredible law and context that they are from and 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 also placing them in the line that's passed and in what's going to carry on and it's just an amazing celebration of who they are and where they fit into everything and so a lot a number of different clans are, are involved and so they try and do just one at a time that's not always possible but so essentially it it leads to a situation where you have this backlog of funerals so it can be at any one point in time there is you know six to ten funerals waiting to happen and you know so sometimes it can be like a six month delay or even more sometimes um after somebody dies before the next you know that funeral can actually happen like what's the average age um, so yeah, that's a great question. I, I guess people are dying significantly younger than dominant culture Australians are. And it's, it's, there's a real range, but generally I think it's probably more in their fifties that people wow. are dying. Um, um and yeah, and, um, and it's not just funerals. It's also just the, the 
sickness that is going on. So we were in this position where we made ourselves available to support people who were trying to do something. And the health was just this constant pervasive barrier that people came up against their own sickness, sickness of loved ones that they then were required to care for, let alone all the funerals. And a funeral goes for a week. So it's it's a significant part of life that everybody is essentially constantly in a state of mourning because there's just this constant stream of funerals. Um, And, yeah, let alone all the, the sickness and significant sickness, you know, heart attacks and strokes and all of these things that are, that are going on as well just in the background of that. So health was just kind of this massive issue just in your face with everything that you were trying to do. Um, and it's Has that felt, always been the case for them or what's like? No, definitely not. So. So when my father and like my father in law was um, a missionary in Arnhem Land um, back in the seventies, and um, it's you know we we are so privileged to have like all that corporate knowledge from him mm. to be able to carry on because you know we basically got us experience a lived experience of this entire period of time from when people were vibrantly healthy. Yeah, and seeing the difference. And that whole journey of everything falling apart. And um, so it's amazing to be able to have a lived understanding of what's going on because, you know, I think so much, so many solutions are, are thrown at things without any actual analysis sure. of, well, what's actually gone wrong here so mm-hmm. that we can hope that what we're doing is actually helping. Um, so, yeah, it's, and, you know, in the scheme of things, Arnhem Land has a, a relatively short, contact time with white people so you know it wasn't until really the 50s that significant numbers of white people were coming into Arnhem Land and bringing you know displacing things like the modern displacing foods of sugar and flour Mm. and rations stuff like that um so initially for a long time um you know people were still eating a traditional diet and they were um maybe if they'd engaged with the missions, they were maybe topping up that diet with these ration foods. So the, what people actually experienced in that was that their kids grew bigger. And so they were interpreting that as, oh, this superior Ballander food because everything else, sorry, Ballander is the word Jung will use to refer to non-Indigenous people. Okay. So, um, so they were having messages sent at them from every which way that Ballander is superior superior and all of their technology is superior and obviously their foods would be part of that so the the initial engagement with those foods was considered quite positive Mm. um and I guess on the on the back of that is a a kind of picture that um you know traditionally you're used the abundance within nature um we we feel that the um using the label of hunter gatherer is really really doing no service to Jungle because it's not an accurate depiction of what was going on traditionally and it makes it seem like a really primitive way of engaging with your environment but it was actually a highly sophisticated farming that was going on mm. and it was just farming that doesn't look the way that our farming Mm -hmm. looks where we annihilate an environment and rip it you know bare and then we put something else in there Mm -hmm. they they had incredible methods of 
using the natural environment and ensuring that the resources were going to be there when they came back next season. So that might be, you know, you eat a yam and you've got to replant the end of it every time. Or, you know, when you go to a turtle egg nest, you only eat a certain number of those turtle eggs and you have to ensure that a certain number are left. And you only fish in certain areas, so you're leaving the areas where breeding's going on and just incredibly detailed, sophisticated laws to, to govern all of that. And so people were enjoying this abundance that nature provided and they weren't really having to think of, oh, there's, you know, aside from those, you know, there's, there's foods that, well, actually traditionally those foods that are poisonous are not actually considered food. They're, you know, they're considered a, a, a non-food. So food was something that you enjoyed and you enjoyed it in a season when it was available. Um, you know, you'll all have a honey season, which is um, mm-hmm. a wonderful time of year, but it's, it's a season and it's short and, um, and then there's not much sweet stuff for the rest of the year. That's interesting. So, yeah, there was definitely not some sense of... Um, oh, food is something that we should be suspecting as causing ill health or something we need to be yeah. you know, aware of that it could be harmful or, yeah, so it was I mean, not they a... Trust, they trusted the food. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So in that, you know, in our initial, it was, it was five years that we were living on Elko before Hope for Health started and in that time um, it, it felt really hopeless. It, it felt like this horrible... <laughs> you know, just this horrific picture going on around you of people constantly dying and people constantly getting really sick and just not seeing any pathway through it. And yeah. I guess the way that we were working was was very, um, you know, we were trying very hard to be responsive. So we weren't trying to force ideas yeah. on anyone. But the fact is that even if we were, it doesn't work. Mm. So, it, you know, we, we tried to... Um, you know, I'm obviously someone passionate about health and I would share that just being me, who I am with Jungle that I was working with on other projects. But it was just not something that people were engaging with. It was not something people were thinking about what they should be eating or thinking that there could be an issue there. And and at the same time, I remember a lot of conversations with people talking about, you know, how hard and sad it was, what was going on and and just that complete sense of being totally in the dark about why it was happening and and I think sometimes when we're in the dark about things we can um we can often over spiritualize them um and I don't want to under spiritualize things too because I think there's a spiritual element to everything but but if we don't have information concrete information to to hang on to that we can tend to feel that there isn't concrete information to have and that maybe it is just a spiritual issue or a cultural issue or you know that maybe it's because we're not this you know tradition or that and um and it was it, it took me a few years to actually be convinced that you all really had no idea why everyone was dying um and that was pretty hard to be kind to realize because I thought I knew why everyone was dying yeah but how do I get that message across in a way that people were actually going to to, to that, that that would actually become a reality for people um to engage in and mm. So yeah, it was um, it was hard being there in that state of hopelessness and not genuinely not seeing a pathway forward. And and when hope for health emerged, we we were not trying to make that happen. It was you know we'd been in the community five years, we'd been supporting 
people on a number of different enterprises that they were developing, um, some of which had, you know, made heaps of progress, some of which hadn't. Um, we had a lot of beautiful relationships and, um, yeah, we certainly weren't trying to start a nutrition program. Wow. That's oh, really? such a, yeah, so, so much really to, to ask here. And to, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe we'll zoom in on the nutritional aspect and you work with that. You mentioned before that you're a medical doctor and mm -hmm. uh, are you still or did you, do you still um, practice? practice? Uh, so no, I, I stopped practicing medicine when we moved to Elko um, and I didn't know if that was going to be a permanent break. I still don't know, but um, mm -hmm. I have found it um, I almost liberating to be outside the system sure. in a lot of ways um and i feel like what we've been able to ch achieve has just constantly drawn upon my medical background yeah, um sure. but it has been amazing to um to not be coming from that starting point um and i think um, what's interesting about the journey of hope for health is that it didn't start in that domain it very much just started from a personal journey of our family being shared with a Jungle friend and that was nothing to do with, with medicine, nothing to do with clinical practice um, and it almost was a surprise to me when it became something like that. You know, Isn't there was, that there how was it point. happens so often? <laughs> um, so we... Um, yeah, we'd been living in um, on Elko for about five years and we... Um, we had a, a very dear friend, Jungle friend, who um, was very sick and um, we were, yeah, we were engaging with this as people, as friends, you know, and in a sense not even in the community development framework that we had for ourselves um, on Elko and it, um, we were trying to work out what to do for our friend because we were really concerned about her and, um yeah, we had no idea that that was going to lead to anything. I guess as a, you know, a few steps back from that, we had, we had gone on a pretty massive healing journey ourselves as a family. Um, we, um, we had always been very health conscious and I think um, had pretty much stuck with the mainstream kind of paradigms of that. Um, I'd been eating extremely low fat for a good decade and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm a pretty extreme person. So if I do something, <laughs> I do it all day. So I did not eat years years of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, um, yeah. And we, um, we had a, a really heartbreaking story unfolding where we had, um, lost our first baby, our first little boy from a preterm labor. And mm -hmm. we, had that had happened we were actually just literally on route to moving to Elko when that had happened so these stories are also intertwined mm. um and we yeah we expected to you know we carried on with what we had planned and we moved to Elko and we had expected to be able to to get pregnant again it hadn't been a difficult thing to get pregnant the first time um and yeah, we, we started a very heartbreaking few years of not being able to get through a pregnancy. And that was kind of going on in the background of everything that we were engaging with in Elko. And, you know, in hindsight, we, we are quite grateful for 
a lot of that journey and what that was able to do in us as people in terms of engaging with a community that is very broken and very um, just carrying so much pain and trauma. Um, So, yeah, it's just interesting that that was an experience that we went through just as we were stepping into that space. And and I think that that was a gift in many ways. Um, We, yeah, we had to do everything possible to try and get through a pregnancy and everything was was failing and and it was obviously complicated by the fact that we were on a little island in the middle of nowhere and very under-resourced um but we yeah we were trying so many different avenues and and in the context of that personal journey we came across the work of Western A. Price and um it was being kind of shared with us in the context of oh, you know, this guy's research shows that traditional diets all include included these special foods called sacred foods that they gave to women who were trying to get pregnant. And um, they believed that it enabled them to, to have healthy babies and get through pregnancies. And um, I was like, oh, well, that's really interesting. You know, I'll have a look at it. And, um, and it was a bit confronting for us to discover the nature of these <laughs> sacred foods. Sure. Fat. that were all extremely mm-hmm. high in fat. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so this was kind of quite um, groundbreaking for us <laughs> and um, just a really different paradigm that we had just never thought of. We just never thought of questioning the, the dominant culture paradigm and how yeah. we were eating. And it was just an amazing journey to be able to unpack all of that in the context where we were living, where... Um, you, I don't know if your viewers, they're probably all very familiar with the work of Western A. Price, yeah. but yeah. Um, it's just amazing because what's going on for Jungle is a Western A. Price story. It's, oh. And it's unfolding today right in yeah. front of our eyes that we have people who were vibrantly healthy on a traditional diet, who had modern displacing foods come in and have now got all the typical patterns of chronic disease that are happening all over the world from the same story. Mm. Um, and I guess a few, you know, obviously that was, it was, it, it was very easy for us to validate the work of Western A. Price because we could look at the information he was saying and we could find it in this living culture in front of our eyes. But we were also seeing the contradictions that were kind of got, being forced on Jung or because of that, because you know, in your traditional culture, fat is, is do you, that means holy and it is prized. And like the entire Jung calendar is, is designed around all the signs in nature that tell you when particular animals are at their fattest so that you know that <laughs> that's that the time. Crazy. Yeah. So you've got, oh, that's particular bushes in bloom that means the stingray is fat now let's go out and get some stingray this particular thing is blossoming now but this is when you know the there's going to be lovely fat turtles or there's going to be um when the oysters are going to be at their plumpest and um so it's it's all (laughs) the entire calendar is centered around fat and (laughs) and when you get those animals it's all about the fat is the most prized bit. The fat of the land, you know, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what yep. people want. And they find, you know, ways to incorporate that fat um, into, you know, different dishes with the animal because they, you know, obviously consume as much of it as they can. Um, so it's it was fascinating to see that in the Jungle traditional context, 
that is people's relationship with fat. Then we hear Yongo talking about in the dominant culture paradigm, what they've been told is healthy. And they know that they've been told you're not supposed to eat fat. So Mm. it's like they have these contradictory messages going on and they're actually just confused and it's easy to throw your traditional knowledge aside because everything else is telling you that your culture is primitive and inferior. So it's really easy to discard that and think you need to follow the dominant culture way. So it was, and you know, it sounds kind of silly to, to say it, but in a sense, this was all going on in our personal life and we had an amazing journey and we embraced fat and, um, <laughs> you know, and got skinnier as a result <laughs> and, um, yeah, completely changed the way we were eating. And, and we, um, we now have two beautiful boys, a five-year-old and a nearly two-year-old. And, um, it's, um, yeah, that they, they're our beautiful miracles that we, um, are just so grateful for. And it, it didn't, we didn't realize that our story was going to be any bigger than that. We didn't expect it to impact anyone else. And we, we weren't trying to make it impact anyone else. We weren't trying to preach to anyone about what to eat or, you know, um, yeah, it, it was just, it was not on our mind at all. Um, so when our dear friend got really sick, um, we, we really wanted to do, something to help her and um we we offered to share our meals with her um and I guess I wanted to frame it in that yeah what we were sharing were meals that um we had spent years with sorry what did you so um so virtually was was um sick with ischemic heart disease and diabetes so she was so short of breath from ischemic heart disease that she had to be in a wheelchair now. She was in her 40s um, and she had her diabetes was out of control so she couldn't get on top of infections and she was covered in boils hmm. and, um, wow. and was, yeah, she wow. was really um, How old was she? unstable in her 40s. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we were, um, yeah, just really concerned, really wanting to help her. And so we offered to share food with her. Um, and, um, what eventuated was that we decided that I would share our family's dinner with her every night. And I gave her some guidelines of what to do for the other meals. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, I hope one day we can get Birch Lowey to come and, and share um, her side of the story. Um, that would be good. Where it's, um, you know, she she had known us for a long time and she, you know, she had heard us talk about things to do with health before and about the importance of what you're eating. And she says that, you know, it was just kind of all meaningless words. And she kind of engaged with this offer because she was feeling pretty desperate and didn't know what else to do. Um, she could see how serious the situation was. And, um, yeah, none of us really knew what was going to happen. So I, I think we had just hoped that we would kind of be able to keep her alive a bit longer. And, yeah, we didn't, yeah, we didn't know what was going to happen. So, and didn't have any great expectation. Um, and it was just, it was just amazing what happened. It was amazing how quickly the different food made an impact for her and um, 
And that was a beautiful thing to see. And she, it, it was that difference of when, um, you know, virtually when she talks about um, the situation for Yolngu people, she gives this amazing picture of, um, she says that Yolngu people are walking around like dead people mm. and yeah, that so they are being animated by a foreign culture. They're being moved like puppets by people from the dominant culture and that just describes so perfectly what's going on for people and that sense that everyone's trying to help and fix them and it's yeah like they're moving them like puppets like here do this here do that and um Jung will have this beautiful concept called ma which is kind of loosely translated as your inner spiritual power and it's, um, you know, you can be ma miri, which is a good way of, of translating the word empowered, or you can be ma muru without your inner spiritual power. And you can see the difference when somebody is acting out of their ma, when it's something inside them that they are enacting and something came alive for, for Bircher and she, um, she just became hungry to understand what, what had happened? How, how was it that this food had made a difference for her? And, and so we were able to, um, you know, engage her with information, engage to, you know, teach her how to cook different things and work out what on earth to eat. And we, um, we had an amazing time. And, and again, we kind of thought, oh, well, that's, that's awesome. We just wanted to help our friends. Like we weren't expecting anything more to come of it. And, um, and we, we then actually went away on holidays. And when we came back um, after a couple of months, it was amazing to see that she had carried this on and that it was starting to kind of spread. And there were people who, you know, I'd been working alongside for years and just loved dearly and so desperately wanted to help with their health, but just no connection there on that at all and to have people like that cutting me off saying karma you need to help me with my health my health the way you helped spiritual and oh, that's just so that cool. it, it just had this chain reaction where yeah. it had become and you know one of those ladies shared with me that it was like seeing that happen to to Birchler was was giving evidence that how, how do you say that, her name sorry what's can you say that slowly Birchler <laughs> you can call her Diane. <laughs> she's amazing. So so she's my amazing okay. young co-founder of Hope for Health. Can you tell me how how she recovered eating that food? Like what? Yeah, kind I want to know how long it took. Well, <laughs> I think I have to leave Diane's story to Diane. Like, okay. so Aww. it's um, it's a big. She's on a, a big journey of her own, and um, I guess journeys have lots of big ups and downs and sideways steps. And okay. I, yeah, as all journeys do. Um, and I think um, it's so. I, I was shocked how quickly that impact had happened in that. So I'm not sure how long it took before she could ditch the wheelchair, but by the time we were back from holidays, she was walking up the biggest hill in town. <laughs> wow. That was making a really big impact because people knew that she'd been in a wheelchair yeah. and they, you know, that, that that was really powerful. And, um, and I still kind of had no idea that anything was happening, but things started happening like, 
I'd be walking along the street and have you know people come up to me saying, "Hey, how do we get on your health program?" <laughs> oh, that's and awesome! Like, what health program? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I wasn't even supposed to be working home with my eight-month-old son. Like, it wasn't. Like, what are you doing? It, it, there was nothing about it that was work. There was nothing about it that was a program. It was just, you know, it yeah, was just sharing friends, with our yeah. friends. And, um, <laughs> so when it was being, yeah, started to be approached as, oh, this program, I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, what program? At um, what point did it uh, then become, oh, that's a good idea. A yeah, so, <laughs> well, <laughs> so we, um, it, it was obviously, you know, like we, we knew that, something had really happened here and that we needed to take that seriously because it's not like we were in a context where positive things were happening all the time, like, mm-hmm. and let alone in the area of health. So it was like, wow, like what, what is it that has happened here? And so Birchlow and I kind of really had to sit and analyze, like, what is it that has made this come together? And um, so we really saw two key themes and, and one of them was about being able to use a framework that made sense to you all because it was just connecting to the framework that's actually the one that's in their head and it's actually who they are and to just be able to reconnect with that and validate mm. that Not and to obviously give them something new that you're like here's exactly. another dominant yeah. idea of health and you should try yes okay. so it's not saying in order to be healthy you have to change who you are. You have to change how you live your life. Yeah. And it's just, it's just all the evidence is to the contrary because Jung were in vital health before we came along. Yeah. So clearly <laughs> they knew something. Um, so, yeah, it, it was amazing to just be able to validate that traditional knowledge. And I cannot tell you how powerful that is when you are able to validate that for someone, it's like you can yeah. just see them stand that little bit taller, like just that little bit of pride in who they are and, and the knowledge that they contain. And, you know, it's something that makes I'm so passionate about when it comes to particularly audiences that do know and love Western A. Price because I was in that place where I was using this information for myself and it really helped me and it was amazing information and yeah I'm really grateful for all those traditional cultures that have stewarded that information that I can now benefit from but have any of us stopped to think um do we actually need to go back and tell them yeah (laughs) they're missing this information for themselves because they're being told that their own culture is wrong and primitive and stupid so they're not looking to it for answers and we really need to go back and tell them that they had it right all along because They're dying because of that. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, I feel like I, I am so thrilled that I now have a charity where people who have been on this journey themselves, because health is something that kind of innately has to be a little bit selfish because we have to invest in ourselves in order to achieve those outcomes. And that's valid and necessary and awesome. But it's also a privilege when, we can pay that back to people who have given us that knowledge that we've benefited from and need it desperately themselves now. So it's just awesome to be able to have channels now in place where that can be happening. How do you do it now? What's, what's the function of the charity? Well, yeah. So what we did with this story that was unfolding, we um, basically, we saw that the experiential learning was really key because essentially we're dealing with people who are completely and utterly malnourished. 
And when you are malnourished, you have no energy, you have no clarity of thought. It's actually just really hard to do stuff. And so it makes total sense that to have some person coming along and talking at you, especially if they're just talking at you in English, which is not your language, about changing radically all these things in your life, it's kind of a little bit unrealistic and it's you've got no reason to to care or think that your reality could be any difference and that's that's part of the poison of being disempowered and welfare dependent is that you don't believe you have the power to change the world you don't believe that you have the power to change your own world let alone anyone else's and so you're kind of starting from a place that doesn't believe that there's anything that could be done that no choices you are making are having any impact on your health and well-being and they're all external factors that you don't control. So that's where people are starting from and we need to break that cycle. And we didn't realise that we were stumbling upon that when we sure. shared our food with mm-hmm. Diane. Yeah, so that's, we... That's um, that's definitely yeah. We're going to come up. Yeah, all right. Please keep coming. Yeah. <laughs> so we then decided to replicate it with two more ladies who were asking for help and it's just just so beautiful when this can become oh I can respond to you asking for help now because you're seeing that there's a pathway there that you want to be part of so um we did that and that was awesome but yeah we very soon discovered that you know I was a stay-at-home mom and I didn't really have the capacity for cooking for vast quantities of the community (laughs) so we needed to come up with a more sensible way of doing this Um, and we, um, yeah, so we made a plan that, all right, it looks like we need to kind of create some sort of context where this experiential learning can happen. And, you know, this is not a new idea. There's really no new ideas under the sun. It obviously health retreats are a thing that people do in all sorts of cultures. Um, and so I guess it's that sort of idea. And, you know, we were trying to, to stop this just being an extension of me and my cooking and showing that this is, you know, this is something that is, is a model that we can work out a way to do Jungle style and we can, um, yeah, we want, we want people to have this experience themselves and from that place be able to kind of pave a way forward. So we decided to take a group of um, 12 women to an established health retreat um, and we were just thrilled to discover Living Valley Springs, as it was called then, Living Valley Retreat, um, that they used a model that was really consistent with what the Yungle traditional diet was because um, that was obviously, you know, at the heart of what we were doing and wasn't going to be a helpful step otherwise. Um, so that was just brilliant. And again, a really validating step that it's saying, not only is this how you used to eat and be vibrantly healthy, but it's actually a way that a lot of other Ballander have been starting to eat and finding awesome health results. So your knowledge is actually being used to make other people well as well. And that's so good. Awesome. Um, so we, yeah, we fundraised. We did a crowdfund. I had no idea what I was doing, but we managed to tap into some amazing networks of people who were equally as excited about this happening. And, and that was such an eye-opener for me because I was just so scared to ask people for money and we'd been so used to just getting on with things without any funds. And it, and it was hard when we needed this money. I knew that this step needed to happen. and But I had incredible things happen. Like I had 
people sending me messages saying, oh, I've never been so happy to have my credit card billed before. <laughs> and um, just beautiful things like that where it was, you know, people, oh, I've been so wanting to contribute to the Indigenous yes. Health Crisis and just didn't know how. And that it was, was just me. So, yeah, it's so amazing to, to see that we don't have to do it on our own, that there's actually this amazing yeah. community of people that care about this so and many care people about care about it. And, yeah. and want it to happen so that was um it was a bit bizarre for fundraising to turn into a, a really positive experience um and it does I mean it doesn't do, and somebody did point this out to me which is so beautiful that it was like how beautiful is this that this money for this to happen has come from people willingly choosing to give and sending all of their best wishes as opposed to it begrudgingly coming from a funder who doesn't want to spend money. And yeah. I just, I really believe that, that it's like you could feel that love and energy coming, coming with us on the journey. And so we, um, we took 12 younger women to Living Valley for two weeks and, and that was amazing. And, um, and it was it was it was just such a positive experience on every level, not just for the Yungo, but you know, surprisingly for the dominant culture people that happened to be at Living Valley Springs that week. It you know, I had people telling me um, that Yungo being there at the same time as them was the best thing that had ever oh, happened in their life. That's awesome, <laughs> isn't that beautiful? <laughs> it so really it was is. beautiful to see that people could come together with this common need to improve their health because we just have everything telling us how different and separate we are as Indigenous and non-Indigenous people and to have that equaliser of we all need to learn how to be health healthy and to have it happen in a context where you all are being lifted up because they, their knowledge is being valued and shown to be relevant for us today. So it's like we're coming together in a context that's lifting up you more enough that it can be equalizing and we can just have this shared experience and that's empowering everyone. And so that was just beautiful. And um, we then went back to Arnhem Land and started the real work of, you know, this crazy journey of how do you support people who have discovered their personal power, who have discovered that the food that they eat impacts their health. And often for people who are disempowered, this is the first example of them realising their personal power, realising that what they do helps create their reality. And, and that is just an amazing step, but it's also a really, really hard step because I think, you know, we all want to empower Indigenous people and that is such a buzzword and it all just sounds so magical and fun, but it's actually not because the main part of empowerment is responsibility. It's an opportunity to take responsibility and responsibility can be hard. And it was just the most amazing journey coming alongside these women who were trying to make change in a pretty hostile environment that wasn't ready or welcoming change and being the first in their community to really be pioneering how that works. How do we get access to the foods we need? How do we, how do we integrate this into the way our life is now and the way our families and households are structured? And there is so many obstacles. And, you know, when we think about a dominant culture person who's decided that they want to improve their health, 
they just have at their fingertips just this myriad of resources that they can access at their, like, you know, free resources on the internet, endless, endless versions of, you know, groups that they can join, you know, support yes. groups either online or in person, endless resources that are in their language and just endless opportunities to join with other people and improve their skills and so just seeing for Jung that th there was nothing and we had to create anything from scratch and you know that's all really overwhelming because you can only do these things one step at a time but it's um it's this journey that is just slowly gaining momentum and the thing that is the the game changer in it all is when we can do these retreats because it increases the peer group that are on this journey because everyone kind of can have this naive idea that it's like, oh, we can just, you know, give 12 people this experience and they'll be able to take it back to their community and tell everybody what to do. And, and it, you know, they'll be able to just educate their whole family or something. And, and I don't know about you guys, but that is certainly not the reality in my life. <laughs> no, like I, no. I have been on an incredible, incredible health journey that's had incredible results. But there is a significant portion of my family who do not care or think that is at all relevant to them or yeah. their life. And it takes a lot of time and it yeah. takes a lot of them seeing your changes yeah. and experience. Absolutely. And also they need to hit the, that kind of point where they're desperate for something. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, you know, it's clear that it's not that simple and people need this opportunity for their own journey to unfold. And so the retreats are just a game changer. You, you are just in, in a two-week period of time able to just take someone from such a disempowered state to to a, a place where they they have embodied this knowledge and they know as a reality that they can feel well which is something that people have just never felt before and they don't know what they what they don't know so yeah. We, um, we were able to, again, fundraise and run a retreat um, in Arnhem Land um, in 2016, which was um, incredible. And that's the story that was captured in The Magic Pill. Um, so Rob Tate came and, and caught it all on film, which was slightly <laughs> overwhelming because it was the first time. <laughs> this and it was all being caught on film <laughs> well it was but, amazing so don't worry <laughs> yeah so that was a real privilege to be able to have that story being captured and um and just you know a couple of examples of the journeying that goes on um shown in the documentary and and again it's such a privilege when the Jungle story can be placed in the context of a story that's happening all over the world and where it can be part of informing our understanding on the whole of what's going on in nutrition and um, it's all just a really empowering thing for Jungle to have that going on. Um, so we then, um, yeah, we've been keeping really... Um, trying to keep really clear records of the results that we're getting as best we can. And they are, they're very concrete and tangible that we're getting really significant improvements in, in people's health. And that, um, you know, obviously we hope that that leads to a sustainable funded program, but that is a, a, a challenging journey and it's um it's one that is is tricky for Jungle to understand because you know some of the participants from the you know the first retreat we did in Arnhem Land they you know it was so amazing and life-changing and they wanted them to keep happening and you know the year after the retreat we the first retreat in Arnhem Land we weren't able to get the funding to you know, sufficient funding to run another retreat and 
and it just didn't make sense to, to people and, and they're just they're seeing money being thrown into so many things that are not doing anything and, and one lady said to me, it really hit me like a ton of bricks where she said, did Ballinger just want us to die? Oh. And it was like, oh, far out. Like I can see why that is, I could see why you could go there, but it, it's just, it's not that simple, you know, and, and funding is, is tricky. It's tricky in so many ways, you know, it's so um, competitive and political and, and all of those things, but it's also, and it's also um, something that takes a lot of time and resourcing. So we, um, we have huge demand for the program within Elko and we also have a lot of demand from other Indigenous communities for the program as well. And so we've been, we've really had to step back from our delivery of the program on Elko to try and work out a sustainable path forward because we feel like this amazing pathway has really been revealed to us and, you know, we want to steward that to, to bear its full fruit. And, um, we, um, we're really excited to have some really exciting um, things unfold. And in the meantime, we have some, you know, some young health coaches that we're slowly training up who are doing an incredible job of, of supporting people and running cooking classes. And um, Ooh, yeah, just really. About. Can you tell us a bit about the cooking classes? Well, what we try and do is kind of give people a framework where they can take their traditional knowledge and know how to apply it in a shop because yes. it's just not realistic that people will just be eating traditional food. When that was the case, that was your lifestyle and your job was gathering your food. So, you know, people are, are living a very different lifestyle now and, you know, people are incorporating a lot of traditional hunted and gathered foods in their, in their diet, which is awesome and we totally encourage that as much as possible. People also need to know how to use these principles when they happen to be in a Ballander shop. Um, people just, you know, we, we actually are really lucky in Arnhem Land and we have an amazing store called Alpa that, you know, run the grocery stores in the communities and they are really passionate about supporting people to have access to, to good food and they had worked particularly hard to increase the availability of fresh fruit and vegetables in the community. So we actually were in quite a good position before this all started. But the thing was it was mainly the Ballander buying them because you all just didn't know what these foods were, why you should care about them, let alone how to cook them, let alone how to make them taste good. Yeah. And it, it's like people have had missed that entire process of, you know, like a lot of us, it's starting to get to the same state in people in dominant culture families where people don't know about mm -hmm. food origins and they don't know how to make things from scratch. But so many of us at least had an upbringing where we were making things from scratch. So you, you have that framework in your head. But for Jungle, they skipped all of that. So the first time we started doing cooking lessons, one day I brought along some spices to make a curry and Jungle were like, oh, my God, this is how Belinda do it. Like, this is how they get flavour in their food. Oh. This is just like how we did it as Yungle. And it's beautiful when, you know, because people were using the little flavour packet from Two Minute Noodles to flavour other food if they were oh. cooking it themselves because yeah. they just didn't know how else to get the flavour in there. Yeah. So when you can just show them different examples and not in a way that's saying, this is the way to do it, you now have to, you know, yeah. cook a curry with spices or something, but it's just show, like, let's just share information about, different ways this can be done and you get to work out how this fits in with the information you already have and so people were able to go oh that's just like 
when we used to get such and such leaves from the plant and use that to flavor the fish. And so not only does it validate the traditional knowledge, but it also gives them new access to new flavors and things to enjoy, which, you know, we, we all enjoy that. Um, yeah. so, so we, um, we have some awesome young staff who are, um, yeah, doing a great job of, of demonstrating these dishes for people and, um, and we do beautiful family meetings. We go to people's houses and they cook up the, um, the, the meals with people demonstrating it and everybody shares and gets to talk about nutrition and food and everybody just has fun. It's just enjoying good food and realizing that good food can be good for you. And, um, yeah, they're just, it's just a beautiful way to, to spread the message and make it practical and, um, yeah, so it's it's definitely a big part of what's going on to try and give participants the skills to implement this stuff in their own life, which is not easy. And um, yeah, the the retreats are definitely not a magic pill. <laughs> they um, they're a, a, an amazing. They catapult you onto a journey. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's. I just can't tell you the difference from before when you were in this context where there was just no hope there was no yeah. pathway there was nothing and to see it's it's like we now both see the same pathway and we want to be on it and everybody falls off it everybody gets stressed and falls yeah. off track and around at times absolutely yeah. but they know that the pathway is there and they want to get back on it and we are only going to be getting a bigger and bigger peer group and only going to be getting better and better at finding the culturally appropriate ways to support people that are trying to make that change. Wow, what a beautiful thing that you're doing. That's just so special. And I love that it was begun mostly through um, partly your example but the example of the Jung, I can't say that word, <laughs> Jungle. Do I get it? people it's just so good that they're beginning this themselves and it's just going to spread isn't it yeah we we certainly hope so and and I guess a big part of that is is us being able to find the ways for that to be financially viable um so we get help from the government so we we currently have some help from stronger communities for children to to support our health coaches which is is really vital because if we can't continue to build their capacity we really lose the the presence on on the ground in the community which keeps the momentum going so that's that's awesome um and we have some support from alpa the grocery stores and oh, we yes. have some support from tier australia but um we are completely dependent on individual donors to really yeah. be able to to keep going and so yeah it's just incredible that people have partnered with us some monthly donors, some one-off donors, and um, it really, it's, it's a very tangible impact that that, that donations are making. Um, so we are, we're really thrilled to um, actually be hosting a, a retreat in October. We Yay. have a philanthropic grant which is making that possible. Um, we, we don't have all the funds we need, so any donations coming in are going straight to making that happen. We'll, um, and we'll we're, we're to, actually, um, get some information from you to put on the show notes on how yep. people can help. Beautiful. Yep. We, um, for this retreat, we're actually trialling a new location for the retreat, um, which is a bit of a big deal. So the retreat in Arnhem Land was on a homeland and we had to 
build bush toilets and showers and bush kitchens and bush treatment rooms and all sorts of craziness. Um, and yeah, we're really looking for the most viable path forward for it to be a sustainable economic pathway an accessible pathway and getting that balance between allowing Yungo to have that space away from everyday life um, to to really come into that cocoon that a retreat can be where they they're just immersed in that world and not having to think about the funerals still going on in their community um, so yeah, we're trying to get the balance between all of that. So we're trialing a location in rural Darwin and, and part of that is, is about opening up who this can be accessible to and our ability to make it expand. So we, um, yeah, we hope that through that process, we're going to be able to open it up to other people groups. And we're also really thrilled that, um, Darwin being that kind of, it, it's a space which is, it's still part of the Yungle world. People do come to Darwin sometimes and it's kind of a place where Yungle and Ballander worlds overlap and we're really thrilled to be launching a new model which will, um, our first one will be um, in 2019 where um, we're doing what's called Together Retreats. So we're going to be opening up to non-Indigenous participants whose, um, whose participant fee will cover not only their spot but a younger person's spot and they then get to journey together. Um, so it's going to be a partnership with Helen Padron, which we are just so ecstatic about. She is phenomenal and just brings together, like we just feel like we're bringing together the best that the dominant culture world has to offer with amazing younger practitioners and your traditional knowledge, grounding it all and that that beautiful package is going to enable people to just invest in their own health, be paying it forward simultaneously whilst having this incredible cross-cultural journey where it's just life-changing shared experience. So we're just really excited about Mm. bringing that into the world next year. So um, the next retreat is in October, is that what you said? Yes. Who's going yep. to be running the kitchen for you? Do you need any help? <laughs> well, well, I, 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 had, I had this great idea that maybe the food could be a little bit quirky. Sounds, <laughs> sounds like a good plan to me. <laughs> we are uh, so excited. All right, we're booking. Whoa, we're thrilled. We're no, thrilled. We, we have been talking about this and we're very excited to be able to come and help you guys. We're so excited. It's so awesome. We, I mean, a big part of what makes this happen is not just our donors, but people who are willing to volunteer. And, um, you know, that's going to be the case for Together Retreats as well, that we have amazing people gathering who are just giving these incredible skills for all of us to benefit from. And it just, I just feel so warm inside when I feel like we <laughs> bringing the best of what we have to young people who are some of the most disadvantaged people and have so little access to options and alternatives in terms of their health and to be bringing the best that we can from around the country just it's just so right yeah we were super excited i had dinner with helen and um we had a a speaking uh, engagement down in Kayama and we sat next to each other and she told me about this. I was like, I've got to be involved in this. <laughs> and it was just the most exciting thing. So from there, you know, we spoke to Kama and um, Tim and then we were like, yeah, we're coming. So Joe and I are going to be up there in October for yeah. pro- probably around a week. We might do yeah. an, uh, a seminar 
the week before that here in Dome and come and see us. But uh, we're super excited to be there mm-hmm. because this is something that um, Joe and I have been really thinking about for a very long time, but yeah. we haven't had the opportunity or we didn't know the people who we were didn't. doing We didn't it's, know if people were like doing you say, it. When, when you started getting the word out, Karma, you started to realize there was a lot of people in the yeah. same way as us wanting to help, but not knowing yeah. how. Yep, Absolutely. So thank you for the opportunity and yeah. thank you for all the work that you're doing. Awesome. Uh, we're coming up on time now. So with the podcast uh, finishing, I would really love to know how people can be involved and in what capacity can people volunteer or can they donate money to mm. the endeavor? And if they, they can, how do they do it? We have the yeah. best quirky community, as you know, because you're, you're a part of it, aren't you, Karma? <laughs> yeah, totally. So we have so many people that would love mm. to help. We've had, actually had questions in the chat group saying, um, what's some really good charities that we could mm. help with um, around this kind of thing? So please. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah no, it is, it is such a privilege to have people coming on the journey with us. And, and that's really what it feels like when people um, are, are joining the journey. It feels like we're, you know, investing together and um, bringing, gathering these resources to make this happen. So it's, yeah, um, yeah we just are so honoured when people become part of the Hope for Health family. So you can follow us on Facebook, Hope for Health Arnhem Land, um, or on our website, which is hopehealth.com.au. You can get all the information about donating either as a one-off or uh, a regular donor. And um, so we are a DGR status charity. So the donations are tax deductible and um, yeah, it's, it's so real and tangible that that money is, is making this work possible. Um, It just wouldn't be possible without it. And um, we have, um, so at hopeforhealth.com.au forward slash together, you can get information about the together retreats um, and we'll soon be releasing all the juicy details of those, which we're just super excited about. And we're just, just thrilled to have people part of the journey contributing if they can financially spreading the word where they can and, you know, it, it just makes so much, much difference um, to just be growing that community that's behind behind this work. And it means so much to, to all of our, our young all um, to have people banding around them on, on this exactly. journey. And it's yeah. our responsibility as well to make it sure is. they're looked after because um, they're in, in this mess because of us in the first <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely so up yep. to us to make a difference really and, and to undo undo those uh, wrongs so yep. um, Karma thank you so much for being on the show we'll probably do another podcast with you when we come and join you in October do it first. yeah that would be brilliant but let's we do get one Tim on there too it'll yeah. be yeah. good yeah, we did have some questions for Tim. He said he'd be good at answering them. I think they're the <laughs> ones from the um, people in the chat group that wanted to know um, more about, you know, the, I guess it was sort of the link with the land and how we can learn from them. Um, so it would be great to chat. Even mm-hmm. it would be great to absolutely. even get some of the younger people on the podcast while we're yeah, at the retreat. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Let's get Tim on there with some, some of our... Diane. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That absolutely. would be brilliant. Yeah. All right, Karma. Thank, thank you, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Karma. It was beautiful talking to you. Beautiful. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.